Nice to see you. Here we go. Let's pray. Sing to the Lord a new song. He's done marvelous things. It's Cantate Sunday, Easter 5, Cantate. Sing to the Lord a new song. He's done marvelous things. Psalm 98, uh, 1. So important because that's what bestows the gift of gratitude, that memory and graciousness for the good that God has done to us. So, uh, And gratitude gives humility, and then you're off to the races after that. Here we go. Lord God, Heavenly Father, through your Son you've promised to give us your Holy Spirit. So we beg you, send him down on us that we may learn to praise you, not only here in weakness, but someday in power and glory with our friends and family in heaven, united with the choir of angels and drawn into your divine presence when we see you face to face. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. All right, good. It's good to see you. Um, if you put money in the basket, I'll take it to Spain and give it away. This is, I mean, here's the thing. Someday you should have, you should have my job. Because I did write you a card on this, though. Well, I mean, one of the best things, one of the most fun things in the church is giving away money. And I really do. You know, I wrote you a card on that during Lent about having an almoner. I do think that guy who's the almoner for the Pope, that's got to be the world's greatest job. I mean, he just goes around and gives money away all day long. When he was hired, the Pope said, you can sell your desk, you won't need it anymore. Because uh, he'd always be out of the office giving things to people. So um, anyway, I'll give some money to Spain. But it would be interesting <coughs> if you all could figure out you know, how to make that work. It'd be fun to, um, I don't know, through outreach or something, find people who we could give um, 500 or or $1,000 to and have them go find a great place. You'd have to tend it and watch it and watch it grow and make sure it goes to a good place as best you're able. Nobody gets it 100% right. That would be fun. Though. So... Someday, someday. All right. Taste and see that the Lord is sweet. Just a slightly different translation uh, of the Hebrew, but it's very, very nice. And it's at least included, if not the primary translation. So once in a while, it's fun to have a different one, which is what we've been trying to do. In this single verse, you know, we spent the year on this, so this is it for this study for this year. We'll take next week off because it's a holiday. And then... um, all sorts of things are coming around in June and July. Uh, remember to you know, come to see David Bukes Ordained on Saturday, the 28th of June at 5.30. Make sure you come. It should be a blast. So um, anyway, this is, you know, this is it. But this great text about <clears throat> what the Lord gives us. Now, part of the reason to spend so much time on this, um, there are some reasons. It's not just about, hey, this is written down. But it's at least about these are the sort of things you should expect to see in your congregation. You should expect to see them. You know, you should recognize them. You should identify them. Um, you should rejoice in them. And frankly, then put them to use. And one of the great things about um, this congregation is how talented people are and how many gifts have been given. Um, it doesn't happen everywhere all the time. But we have a particularly rich group of people but I, you know, I always remind you, you know, Jesus' words, to whom much is given, much will be required. So it's terribly, terribly important for you all to you know, stay busy. And I have to tell you, I mean, and this will be, I'm going to end up here today, I think, but there's something in the Christian life sometime, it's a mark of immaturity when we worry that the use of our gifts will somehow diminish us. If we give money away, we won't have enough money. If we give love away, we won't have enough love. If we give time away, we won't have enough time. 
Um, you know, it actually is not true. And the best churches and the best Christians are people who understand that there's actually a spectacular life on the far side of giving everything you've got. And at some point, when the question comes off the table, when you're no longer asking yourself the question, you know, should I be generous with all I've got? Should should I be obedient with my life? You know, should I live in humility or pride? Do I assert for other people or for myself? You know, people struggle with that back and forth, argue with it. You can spend your whole life arguing about that, and you'll drop dead someday, and you'll never have been the person or the church that you could have been. But there is a maturity, and I will say a faith as well, of moving beyond that question, where the question doesn't become, will we be generous, will we give, you know, will we bless, will we be merciful, will we love? When you move to the next level, which is, how can we live, how can we give, how can we love, better and better, more and more all the time, that life really, really becomes rich. And the interesting thing is, especially because so many people are so young here, you know, basically I'll just say it to you like this, this congregation has a great chance for that if we don't screw it up. I mean, the only thing that can stop us really is us, and we need to know that about ourselves. So partly, you know, what we need to do as a congregation is to recognize the gifts we've been given, to see how the pieces are in place, but then the next thing is, is to put them together as the Catechism always says, in love for God and service to other people. And when you stop asking about that question, so much of Christianity is burned up by, should we really do that? Can we really do that? Do we really want to do that? Is that really true? You can live that way, but the problem is you never advance beyond that. When you move to the next step, which is to say, okay, I'm going to live that way. It's a little like being married. Um, You're not my wife. The other one in the orange is my wife. (laughs) I was like, here's the thing. If you're going to talk about your wife, you've got to get a bead on her. That was a bit confusing for me there. Sorry. Um, before you're married, you spend a lot of time saying, is this the right person? Is this the right person? You wake up in the morning and say, is this the right person? From the time you leave the altar where God has put you together, that question becomes illegitimate. You may no longer ask properly, is this the right person? You wake up every morning and assert, this is the right person, and what does my life look like? The Christian life is very much like that as well. You can wake up every morning, and here's the thing, I encourage you, I mean, I've always encouraged you, read anything you want, you know, ask any questions you want, except for, of course, touching evil which, you know, the illusion that somehow touching evil frees you is, the, you know, the most idiotic deception. But, you know, read anything you want. Think about any, ask any question. But at some point, know that simply a questioning life only takes you so far. So at some point, you have to stop asking about whether or not obedience is really helpful. You wake up and say, obedience is helpful. You will find out that the world opens to you with more opportunities than you can imagine. You have to stop asking about whether or not you should bring people near the altar, your friends and your family. You simply bring them and let the Lord worry about the balance. You don't ask yourself, should I be self-interested or should I be merciful? Should I be, should I be humble or should I be proud? At some point you say, 
I live in gratitude and humility, and so how does my life work? And most churches, I mean, frankly, most churches and most people don't even get to ask them those questions. But really, the next thing beyond asking the questions is actually now absorbing that. That's faith. Faith asserts, as Luther said, the Holy Spirit is no skeptic. You know, the Holy Spirit just doesn't stand around and ask questions. He's at work. And so, when you see the gifts that are given, these are cre- clearly gifts um, that have been given to you. They'll come forth this shoot from Jesse, a branch. It'll bear fruit. Here's what the fruit looks like. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and fear, and delight. So those are the things. Now turn the page, if you will. So I tried to give you, in a word, okay, how these gifts fit together. And I wonder, you know, kind of as we do this, if you can think about the people in the room and the people that you know at St. John, and you think about people who are really good at this. So the first one, just as a review, in a word, the first one is humility. So there are, there are some of us who are, are very proud or struggling with pride, but there are people in this congregation who by nature are extraordinarily humble people. So, and remember the key. If you want to be humble, you don't aim at humility. You remember with gratitude. These are the gifts the Lord has given me. When you remember, you're completely dependent on God. You're nothing but given to. You have nothing of your own. You see how that cleans up questions about giving? It cleans up questions about mercy. It cleans up all kinds of questions about service. If you realize that you don't have anything of your own, that everything you have is given, that's very humbling. And then you understand of all of life as a steward, not just money. I'm talking about stewarding your kids, stewarding your spouse, stewarding your job, your house, your time, your mercy, your love. So that's, that's what it is to live in humility. The very first one, and we did them in reverse order, but the first one is humility. The next one is, you know, this an open-heartedness, right? And so piety is the open-heartedness to God's way, even when it's painful for us. The next one was just knowledge. It's important to, you know, we're not, we're not Luddites. We're not afraid of questions. We don't skip the Enlightenment. It's important to have the data. So, you know, you have great... Christian thinkers and great Christian universities. Um, the next one is just the strength, and we talked about this. Everybody's afraid. Everybody's afraid. But it's how you manage the fear. You can manage the fear with courage, or you can curl up in a ball and you know be afraid the rest of your life. At some point, you have to say, here we go. The next one, then, is sifting. So it's not just number three. One, two, three was, it's not just enough to have the data you actually have to compare the data. You have to sift the data. Okay, this is helpful. This isn't helpful. This is true. This is not true. Okay? And then the next one we did last week, insight. There are just some people in life who see, world, see the world more deeply. This is normally a gift that comes with age. It doesn't always come with age. People can get older and they can still be stupid. They can, they can be older and still be... Because they didn't use their life well. They didn't go to the Eucharist enough. They didn't think clearly enough. They were always self-interested. Young people are generally just stupid by nature. They haven't had their chance to. You know, the greatest thing, I mean, this study that came in, you know, the study on the brain that came in that basically said boys' brains, the rational part of boys' brains doesn't turn on until they're about 23 or 24. It explains everything. (laughs) You can bless yourself as a parent. You were doing your best. It was the piping, you know. (laughs) You know, things weren't hooked up. And suddenly it's like, oh, 
you know? So um, this insight of where people can say to you, I understand how this is going to work out for you. This is very often what mentors do, or fathers, or grandfathers, or mothers, or grandmothers. Well, I can just tell you how this is going to sort itself out. I've seen this before. This is what's going to happen in broad strokes. And that's, that's the insight of being able to calmly say, I mean, Jesus shows up in the Gospel for today, the panicky disciples, and then Jesus is just like, this is going to be painful, but I know right where we're going. Okay? And then the last one is, um, you know, I'll just characterize it as divine love. It's, it's, it's named as wisdom, but it is wisdom. Wisdom means you love the things that are most important to love. You cherish the things that are appropriate. And you don't love the things that will hurt you. You don't love the things that are anti-divine. And that's the last, the last great gift. You're, there are some things you should love, and there are some things you really shouldn't touch. Okay? And that's this last word. So this is number two. It comes to wisdom. In general, you know, in general, when people are just talking about this word, it means shrewdness or prudence, if you talk philosophically, or skill. You can, you can figure out what things you should touch, embrace, hold dear. And you can see how close this is with, you know, knowledge and then um, discernment and then insight. Those things all work together. But this is the coup de grace. This is the, I'm holding on to this for dear life. If I, I will die before I'll let go of this. That's what, that's what wisdom is. At some point you have to say, you don't have to say, but if you want a life that matters, you have to say at some point, this is what I follow, this is what I cling to, this is what I love. You know, otherwise, you're, like the scriptures say, tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. You never quite know, and you're pulled this way and you're pulled that way. And frankly, you're just not very useful. You don't do any good for yourself, and you don't do any good for anybody else. And of course, if you imagine already that you weren't put here for yourself, you were put here to serve God and love your neighbor. That's your greatest glory. That's the, that's the life of the Holy Trinity, that every member is in service to every other member. That's your life too. It's completely anti-people who constantly assert their own rights and their own interests. Right. So... Um, Point three, start with the notion that wisdom and understanding are both important, but wisdom is the most important thing. Just a little review, very quickly, turn the page, understanding is light. Okay, this insight, like the lights are on, it's like people have better vision than you do. They can just see farther, they can see more clearly. Okay, and you start to read the scripture in a different way, um, because now these words you'll start to pick up in scripture, so I just give you a little one. We impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, so this is a divine gift, but taught by the Spirit. It's something the Spirit gives to you. Interpreting spiritual truths, that is, things you can't get intuitively or naturally, to those who are spiritual. This means that the church has a conversation, an ongoing conversation, about things that people outside the church really aren't going to understand. One of the problems in our age, and I suppose in other ages, is that people get embarrassed about that about having a conversation that other people doesn't understand, I'll just tell you, you should go live with some other people for a while. Because all the people who tell you, you know, they've got it figured out and it's working out for them, go meet them. And try to get into the, try to get into the, the, the nooks and crannies, the corners of their life. You will see, you will see that it's all a facade. That's what you'll see. 
Don't spend too much time with that because you'll never get anything else done. But it's one of the important reasons why kids need to venture out, we need to venture out. You need to read everything, see everything, do everything, with the exception of touching evil things, so that you can sift it, so you can think about it. Okay? It's just terribly, terribly important. Because we have an entirely different conversation going on. The disconnect between, uh, for me it's not a disconnect between science and religion. Is, is not a, uh, I think the intersections are really interesting, but the disconnect just doesn't ring with me. Nor where people make a, dis- a disconnect between philosophy and theology, for example, or between you know, the, the real world and the spiritual world. It's two different games. You know? it's, it's two different, it's, it's, you know, it's the difference between hockey and golf. You know, they both have a stick. But beyond that, you know, things are fairly different. I mean, if you, if, you know, if you check Bubba into the, you know, into the azaleas at the Masters, you're out. You know, that just doesn't, you know, that's not how the game is played. So, yeah, there are similarities, but it's not the same game. We have a different game going on. And part of the reason you're here together is to encourage each other to live that way. And it is a better life. It is, it is a better life. If you think about honorable people in history, the honorable, the people who are honorable, if you think about, you know, you can think about Mother Teresa, you can think about, you know, the last three popes, for example, one, two, three in a row. They've had three good guys, completely different guys. If you think about people who started the first schools for everybody, who first educated women, who started the first hospitals, who buried the dead when everybody else just cast them out, it's Christian, 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 Christian. It was the Christians who understood the world in this way and did that good. Other people through the years have claimed it now, a thousand years later. But the church was always first about those things because they understood the dignity of human beings. So, I mean, it's just, it's just important to know things and you'll feel much less um, defensive or ill at ease when you're around your very smart friends who are about to have a black mass. It's incomprehensible. I mean, that is incomprehensible. The, I didn't put it in my sermon. The president of Harvard attended the prayer service, but she also said, we will continue to afford this group their own decision about whether they'll celebrate a black mass on campus. It's just incomprehensible to me. Uh, But, you know, it's a different deal. All right, so, understanding is light. We did much of that last week. But wisdom is, at bottom, love. It's cherishing the data. I don't know, I can identify a couple times in my life where I was around really smart and really kind people. I can identify times where I, you know, for six months or a year where I learned a lot, a lot, a lot more than I would otherwise. Not just in terms of data, but in terms of um, bearing, in terms of affect, in terms of life. And I am still grateful for the people um, who did that. And I'm sure that you've had similar experiences, whether it was a parent or a teacher uh, maybe at a mentor at work. There are times where you get this accelerated learning. Um, for anybody who applies themselves to life, that happens to you. When you cl- it, it, that's the feeling. When you're like, I can't believe how everything is suddenly coming together. That's the feeling that wisdom is talking about. So wisdom isn't just recognition. You know, that comes at understanding. Wisdom is, you own this. I mean, this is, I live for this. It's the only thing I care about. I suppose, in a way, you know, it's the way you feel about your children. You know, I, I, I suppose it's, it's something like that. In the way that you feel about your children, they continually surprise you, they're yours, and there's nothing that can separate you from them. And, you know, good, bad, or indifferent, you cling to them. You know, in, in some ways, that's what it's like. It's like having, 
It's having this thing that you would never question whether or not you love it. You love it. And then you see where it goes. That's what the church is meant to be. When the church is like that, people do remarkable things. Uh, this is not a blank apologetic for all the church has done. The church has done horrible things. The worst, pers- the worst persons I've ever known are church persons. The absolute worst persons are theologians. Because, I mean, the most evil people I've ever known are theologians. The reason why is they study evil all day long. And if they go to the dark side, they're really, really good at it. I mean, if you pay a lot of attention to evil, when you want to invoke it, you know exactly what to do. You know, the absolute worst people I've ever known have been in the church. The absolute best people I've ever known have been in the church as well. Right? And so the challenge is for you to be, be among the best people, you know, ever, anywhere. And, and really, kind of the next step for all of us together is We've done a very good job of consolidating. We've done a very good job of sort of getting our, our rubrics down. We know who we are. You know, we know what we cherish. We know what we will touch. You know, the sacraments and love for each other. We know what we won't touch. You know, gossip or being unkind to other people. But really, the next, the next level is to say to ourselves, you know, how do we extend that into the world? It's not enough. I mean... Please don't hear this as a criticism. You have to hear this as the most positive thing. It's rare that a church, and I'm not talking about us as staff, I'm talking about you as people, it's rare that a a congregation works this well together, that people are so kind to each other and so caring. And it's, it's It's a rare thing that you're a part of. But of course, it's never just about you. It's always about the next person. It's, it's about all the people who you know, have not had the opportunity. And if you're always questioning it, if you're always worried about it, if you're always nervous about it, if it's not quite yours, at some point, you know, as my grandma used to say, you've got to fish or cut bait. You know? At some point, you just have to say, this is the life I'm leading, here we go. And that, that's, what, that's what wisdom is. Wisdom is the, is the grasp, the choice, the divine love for that. Okay? Um, when you do that, I'm all the way to point seven somehow. I don't remember turning the page. Oh, wait, no, I didn't. I didn't. I turned two pages. That's why I was like, how the heck did I get there? Although, frankly, that can happen to me. Um, you know, I'll just give you these next two things because, you know, you already know this. Um, I give you more than you need, but at the first one, at, po- at the first one, it's basically just, you know, if you need one sentence about what the gospel is, and if you need humility, this is the verse to memorize. But while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Right? God shows his love for us. He cherishes us. He grasps us. He holds us. God shows his love for us. Right? In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So, I mean, while we're still angry, rebellious, idiots, uninterested, whatever the, whatever, you know, Christ reconciles us in advance of us. This is why. This is the great thing about being Lutheran, which is um, you're nothing but given to. Right? So you're given this gift and you get to live within it. It's a, it's a great thing. And then the next thing, um, and yet often we read this, it's a glorious, at point six, it's a glorious Christmas text. It's, it's just a, the, it's the most beautiful text in many and various ways. You know, in many and various ways, God spoke to our fathers of old by the prophets, but in these last days, He has spoken to us by a son. That is just like, you know, the son. And then just kind of, if you look at this, appointed heir of all things through whom He created the world, 
a son who reflects the glory of God, a son who bears the nature of God, right? Upholding the universe. And most importantly for you, he made purification for sins. So it's not just theoretical stuff, it actually gets applied to you. That's the grasp, okay? You still okay? All right, I'm going to flip the page then to where I thought I was before. So, um, and we, did, we spent a very long time on this, you know, six years ago. But this whole notion of what is best in life. Um, in life, I think most people hit what they aim at. I've had vigorous conversations with very bright people about this who disagree. But I think most people hit what they aim at in life. And when you hit it and you don't like it, it's because you didn't aim well. If I just look around at people, I'm like, yeah, that's where they were going to end up because that's what they were aiming at. That's where they're going to end up there because that's what they're choosing, right? Most people hit what they aim at. So the encouragement of Scripture is to, to love what is, and it's great because only the NIV has this translation, but it's right, to do what is best. So imagine, this is what the world is like. The Lord loves you so, He creates you, He gives you life so that you can be loved. And that so you can move through life, He gives you all these gifts, and He gives you the possibility to live the best possible life. Please don't confuse this with a life that does not have pain. Because of the back and forth in life, life is going to be painful. But what is best, at some point, you have got to decide whether you're going to embrace what's best. Or you have to give yourself a definition of best. People, they hit what they aim at. If you define best as a lot of money, you're gonna, every, that's going to that's gonna shape and bump and nudge every act you make. If you, if you define best as being superior to people around you, in every situation, you know, you'll develop skills that will, that will attempt to put you in that position, Right? But if you define best as this text does, as maturity, love, and insight, and we did this for a couple of weeks, this is my prayer that you love. So what's best, love? That you abound more and more in knowledge. In this case, that particular Greek word has, is not just knowing things, but it's maturity. It's actually insight. This is, you know, this is the insight word. That you get really, really insightful about life. That you see how the dots are connected. And not only how the dots are connected, but you can see the future, okay? And um, a depth of insight. But in this case, insight includes also obedience. So if you say in your own life, what's best? Basically, by way of the scriptures, I mean, you could say it in a hundred different ways, but here's a very short way. Here's the three things that are really, really important. A very deep love for God and other people, an ongoing maturity where you sort of tick-tock through these gifts and get better and better, no, no, more and more. And finally, the wisdom of obedience. And one of the great troubles with Lutherans is they don't accept obedience often enough as a gospel word. Obedience is your greatest gift. Obedience is the thing that will protect you. Obedience is the thing that will satisfy your soul. Obedience simply means embracing what Jesus says and what Jesus does. So you say what Jesus says and you do what Jesus does. And now you see the world opens up. 
Because Jesus is merciful, so we're merciful. Jesus tithes, so we tithe. Jesus gave alms, so we gave al- we give alms. Right? Jesus is long-suffering, so we're long-suffering. Right? Jesus sticks in with the least, the last, the little, the lost, the dead. So we stick in with them. Now, you see how many levels this up is, is up from where most churches are. I mean, go into churches and see what happens. Most people are moaning about, you're just like, really? So Jesus is going to put himself on the altar to forgive you, save you, strengthen you, and move you into a life of love, and this is an inconvenience for you? Really? I mean, it is. I mean, churches are filled. There are churches, there are whole churches that are like that. But, you know, it can't be us. It can't be us. That can't be us. Being here but being cranky can't be us. Being here but excluding can't be us. Being here and loving just us can't be us. At some point, and this is the good news, you know, over many, many years, you have the opportunity to being here, enjoying being here, loving each other, caring for each other, and then extending yourself into the world to make a difference without worrying about the result. In some sense, success really is his best effort. You do what you're given to do. You live in obedience, and then the chips fall where they fall. And when they fall where they fall, you say, thank you very much for that. Luther's words, what God does is always right. You know, it takes some measure of faith to embrace that. That what God does and what God gives is always right. Because what happens is when you say that, you no longer sit in judgment of God. It's a very difficult thing for human beings to do. The whole intellectual exercise of Western civilization is to sit in, in judgment of God. At least for the last, you know, 300 years, 400 years. That's, that's really the bottom question, isn't it? Whether you'll cherish God with all you've got and accept what comes to you in obedience or whether you'll decide, I'll go my own way. And there's a story, you know, about that in the Bible. It's the very first story. This is the very first story in Scripture. I mean, this is your deal. You can live in Eden, or you can go your own way, your choice. Right? So, I mean, my encouragement to you is to try to live in Eden. Is this, you know, I, there's a, a lot of nuances to this, but if we can, over the next years, grasp the broadest thing, that it's very important to draw other people in and to love them and be kind for them and to make a difference, to push back the darkness and to live in mercy and to live in humility and to steward what we've been given well. It's frightening in some ways how much, um, how many blessings and how many resources we have, right? How you all have. It's remarkable, right? To whom much is given, much will be required. Um, on we go. Um, just a reminder, I didn't do much with this, but you know, um, the Holy, Jesus puts himself within our grasp again today. I mean, you come to the, bat, there'll be a baptism at the next service. Jesus puts himself in on that child. He puts himself within the grasp of that child. He puts himself within your grasp at the Eucharist. Um, I'm going to flip the page. In some ways, um, I've given you this already, but um, from time to time, you know, I lapse into talking about what is good and beautiful and true or good and right and true. And sometimes, um, you know, those are philosophical terms. There's some intersection between um, philosophy that identifies things that are good and beautiful and right and true. 
And sometimes people then are in rejection of that. But Scripture talks about that very carefully. Your own life is meant to be beautiful. Your own life is meant to be right. Your own life is meant to be loving and true. I mean, there it is. You know, walk as children of light. I haven't said anything else but that. Walk as children of light. Coming right to you, Karen. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And look, the words start to pop up. So try to discern, there it is, sift. In your own life, try to sift out what's pleasing to God. Don't touch evil. Verse 11, don't take part in unfruitful works. Don't waste your life. I mean, you can think, you can talk, you can engage. You should spend some time with people who aren't in the church. You know, this isn't, you know, we're not isolationists, but be careful what you touch. Don't take part in the works of darkness. Don't touch. Instead, expose them, which means you need some measure of knowledge to say why this isn't good for you or that isn't good for you. I mean, one of the great problems and one of the reasons I probably became a pastor is, I hesitate to say this because some of my pastors are still alive, but part of the reason I went to seminary, I never intended to be a pastor. This is all a cruel joke. But, uh, you know... What, the reason I just intended to go to read for a year because I had a lot of questions that my pastors could never answer. So I just intended to take a year off and read and then go get a job. Um, and then, you know, who knows what happens to you. But, um, you know, it's important for us to have the data and to be able to explain ourselves. You cannot draw people into the church just simply by assertion. We can explain ourselves as well on most topics as just just take, you know, this is this, just an easy topic. Let's just take abortion. Okay, let's just take this just for a second. I'm often criticized because I don't talk about this sufficiently here, apparently. Um, but I, I don't like the way it's engaged very, very often. There's a single question in abortion. There's just a single question. Um, whether the child inside you is alive. This is a very simple question. If you answer, yes, that's a human being, you have one way. Because, and I'll tell you how to, the easiest way to do it is, if you answer, yes, the child inside a mother is a person, is a life, then all you do is take all the rhetoric that's normally applied to the mother and you just shift it over to the child inside. All the things that are normally said about a mother who carries a child that she's, free to dis- that, sh- that she's free to choose what she wants to do with her own body, that things should not be imposed upon her, that she has the ability to live in safety, that decisions about her own life belong to her. You just sift to the child inside. It's a very, these things come very simply. You may not convince anyone, but they're very different. Now, having said that, I'm well aware that even in a con- congregation like this, there are many men and women who have, there are many women who have had abortions, there are many children who have had, there are many men who have fathered children who have been aborted. I mean, I get all of that. One of the problems when we engage that often is the church comes hard and mercilessly with people. It is, in a way, like many other sins, um, when there's never any mercy, there's never any repentance. And frankly, and I've talked to you about this before, often people don't show when they've done something horrible because they're shamed. Because they think you and I won't accept them, right? So you need to be very, very careful with this sort of thing, even as you say, and in some way, you have to not touch darkness, you have to explain darkness, but you have to be open to the people who have been ruined by darkness. 
The church is about mercy at bottom. No, Jesus is about mercy. He is not about judgment. And Lutherans are quick to judge. You know, it's in us. And it, it should not be, you know. So, um, Karen, um, like four hours ago you had a question about something? Right. Right. And those are the sort of things you hope for. So, um, you know, and especially in your case, you're very brave to talk up. So, um, it would be very helpful and people... See, this is why in the church we don't disparage knowledge. You know, we're very happy when, for example, science advances. And, and for you, there might be possibilities. You're still a very young person, right? With great... Uh, here's the thing. Even uh, believe me, if I'm talking to a woman, she's a young person. Okay. So you know. So we 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 we. Um, but you know, for example, stem cells. For example, which is one of the things that might be used to treat something like you. I mean, that's been a huge debate because the, the possibilities now that advanced stem cells can come from another place, for example, rather than from an aborted child. You know, that that that. You know, suddenly that opens up. So Christians always need to be on the forefront of those things and think carefully. This is, ju- this is just so difficult. It's so difficult to stand for things. It's not unlike being a parent. You know, it's not unlike being a professor. It's not unlike being anybody who has standards. But the, the great difficulty is to actually stand for something and yet be merciful to those who have, um, you know, somehow been touched or touched darkness. And then especially to those even who are dark and sort of insist on darkness. It's a very, very difficult stance. But the thing is, you're up to it. And that has to be kind of the next place to go. I just urge you, there's a whole world of people who just want to be loved. They just want to be mercied. They don't want to be alone, and they want to be loved. It's just about that simple. And you're the persons through whom um, they might experience that. All right. Um, you can sort of, you've heard much of this before, uh, but I just want to encourage you at point 12, and then we've got to go, which is, um, it's just a great line, it's almost a throwaway line from James. Hey, if you want wisdom, ask for it. Isn't that nice? Now, if you think that means increasing your IQ, you know, that's not what this is. Increasing your IQ is elsewhere on the list. This is like, if you want wisdom, that is, the ability to cherish, to love what's good and right and true. Just ask, you know. Later he'll say, the prayer of a righteous person avails much. If this is what you need, just ask. It's like humility. If you need humility, you should ask. I mean, we should all ask for that because the original sin is, you know, being prideful. If you need it, just ask. So So here's the thing, just to wrap this up. The Lord has given the church great gifts. He has given this congregation those gifts on steroids. When you have those gifts, you become very powerful. The question is whether you can use that power that you have in a merciful, humble way or whether you'll use it in precisely the opposite way. If you use it in a merciful, humble way, what will happen is you'll coalesce together as one community and you'll be extraordinarily attractive to people outside who are alone and unloved. And if you don't, you will blow yourselves up like so many churches. And, you know, it'll just be madness. And people will... They, it'll be where they, 
you, you, they can't get out the door fast enough. You know, what you're trying to do is create a place where people can't get in the door fast enough, right? But that really depends on you and on me and how we live. If we can hold to what's good and true and beautiful and right, and yet do that not in a prideful way, I'm better than you because you've done a particular thing and I haven't, because that, of course, is not true if we all really had a good confession, but rather that we hold to what's good and possible, what's good and, and, and glorious and right and true and beautiful, and we say, we'd like to share this with you so your life can be brighter and better. That's what we're aiming at. So it's kind of the next thing for us to think about. Congratulations, you've ticked up three or four levels in how the church works, and there's still a lot of work to do, right? Especially in being merciful toward other people. All right, love you, gotta go. Thank you very much. Um, I'll see you next week, I think. Will I see you next week? Yeah, I will. I'll be at church, though, I think. I won't see you here, but I will see you for a cup of coffee or something, okay? I don't even know what my name is. Okay, love you. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Okay, thanks. See ya.